Well, we come this morning to back to Matthew 6, uh, back to the Sermon on the Mount, and we actually get to enter a new section uh, of the sermon. So you remember, uh, the sermon has an introduction, doesn't it? It has the Beatitudes, it has the uh, discussion about being salt and light, the mission, of the, both the character of disciples in this age, the mission of disciples in this age. Uh, and then it talks about, as we enter uh, chapter 5, verse 17 through 20, and then through the rest of chapter 5, talking about how do you look at the law, right? The, uh, even the Old Testament scriptures, and you look at that and you extract what's the, the principle of that law, the heart of God, and obey from the heart. The whole sermon is about kingdom righteousness. How do you follow Jesus, the king? How do you follow, what does that look like? Like And so he talks about the law. He talks about obeying God's law from the heart and being an imitator of God as a son. And then in chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, which we just finished last week, uh, it talks about this other idea of righteous habits. Uh, what does it look like to have righteous habits as a disciple? Remember, that's who Jesus is primarily addressing, disciples, and then secondarily, the crowds that are interested potentially in being disciples. Uh, what, does it, what does it look like to have righteous habits? And, and in having righteous habits, not to look for the praise of man, not to look for the reward from people, because you'll just be uh, have that reward here and now. You may have some, but it's going to be paid in full. That's all you're going to get. But how do you have righteous habits that look forward to God's reward? Uh, looking to, as a child, as one who has repented, who has turned from sin and self to entrust oneself to Christ, who's following the king, as a, now as an adopted son um, of the father, as an adopted son or daughter of the father, looking to the father, to the parent for that reward. And now we turn a corner, we enter uh, chapter 6, verses 19, and really chapter 6, verse 19 through 34, dealing with the same issue, and that is the issue of money and possessions. Money and possessions. We're not usually very comfortable talking about, even with the others, even the others we're close with, money or possessions. Where do our finances go? Why is that? Well, it's because it feels very personal. It, very, it feels uh, very connected to who we are. What we do with our money, where we spend it, is our choice. Uh, we, 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 we worked hard for that. We, so we have the choice of where to spend it. But what Jesus is going to do in this section, uh, both this week and next, as we talk about possessions and money and uh, resources is if you're a disciple of Jesus, what does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that Jesus owns your life. Uh, that's the real, uh, the, the real thrust of it. And remember back to chapter 4, when Jesus called his initial disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they dropped everything. They literally dropped their livelihoods with the fishing industries they were involved in to follow Jesus. And so we might think that our finances, our resources, how we spend those things are very personal, but they, Jesus wants, has say. He has say on how we spend, how we use those things. If we're genuine followers of Christ, how we use our resources and the variety of forms those take, Jesus has something to say about it. So as we do that, we need to listen to Jesus very closely, not only because finances, resources, those sorts of things are so personal, but it's also this, that we need to listen to Jesus very, very carefully this week and the next uh, because of the materialistic society we live in. We live in a very materialistic society where people are consumed with consuming. They're consumed with consuming, gathering more stuff. You guys know this as we're heading into the holiday season. We got Black Friday coming up, and we've got uh, Christmas and those sorts of things, and the focus just inevitably, even people complain about it, that it's so commercialized. It's so fixed on consuming things. And Jesus, what Jesus is going to say this week and next, helps us to fight against, to push against that mentality of our culture and to not idolize things but to view things and resources rightly as we follow him. So as we enter this morning into chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, we get the first installment of Jesus' teaching on this. And the main idea, the big idea for this morning, what Jesus would have for us is this, serve God, not possessions, investing resources in heaven and guarding against greedy envy. Serve God, 
not possessions, investing resources in heaven, and guarding against greedy envy. And really what you're going to see in each of these passages, you might have picked up on it as we were reading through it, uh, each, there's kind of three segments. There's verses 19 through 21, and you've got two investment options. But then in verses 22 through 23, you've got two I conditions. And then verse 40, 24, you've got two masters. So we've got these three segments, each focusing on two different things. And through those things, Jesus is going to teach us about how we view resources as his disciples. So first, let's look at two investment options Two investment options in verses 19 to 21. Do not be storing up for yourself treasures upon the earth, where moth and consuming are causing to disappear, and where thieves are breaking in and stealing. Jesus starts this new section. It, it's similar to the last section. You remember the last section, chapter 6, verses 1 through 18? He was dealing with this issue of reward, wasn't he? He was talking about reward's not a bad thing, uh, but look for it in the right place. He was talking about, in that case, righteous habits, and are you looking towards other people and to what they're going to give you, or are you looking to your Father in heaven? And in a similar sort of way, we kind of shift gears, but it's a similar idea, talking about this idea of storing up treasures upon the earth. And he tells his disciples, do not, it's, a, it's kind of a general command, uh, don't do this. This is a general prohibition. He's talking to his disciples. Maybe some of them were doing this already. You can kind of see through the gospels, even later, how they did in, in that society in that, which they were living in, that wealth was valued. They, they had that mentality. If, you know, if God's given you all this wealth, he's blessed you, uh, enjoy it. They still had that mindset, but Jesus is saying, no, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't store up for yourself treasures upon the earth. And what he's talking about, and you'll see this, it's not so much that he's talking about not storing up treasures in general, because he's going to give us a positive command here in verse 20, but what he starts dealing with is where you're putting it. Where you're putting it. So first, and we've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount, and then Matthew in general, he addresses, don't put it on earth. We've seen this dichotomy between earth and heaven in the Gospel of Matthew, right? That the idea that there's the, the, the earthly realm, and then there's the heavenly realm. And eventually, even in what we talked about in the Lord's Prayer, right, that earthly realm is going to be invaded fully and finally by the kingdom of heaven, right? That Jesus on his throne from a throne in Jerusalem is going to reign over that whole world. So, but you've got these kind of two realms with two different priorities. And Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasures upon the earth. And he essentially talks about, uh, gives a reason for why you shouldn't do that. Where moth, and a lot of translations say rust, but it's, it's literally just the word consuming. So it could be some other form of insect or rot or whatever it is. It's, it's not the usual word for rust, but it's, he, he's, he, he's talking about a, a moth or some other forms of consuming or corrosion causing things to disappear. In other words, this, this stuff, this treasure that you might store up, that you might lay up on earth, it goes away. Really, Jesus is giving a reason, a support for why you shouldn't store up things on earth. Practically, they disappear. They go away. Uh, they get destroyed by moth or consuming or, or rust or whatever it is. They disappear or they get stolen. Thieves break in and steal this stuff. Really, what he's doing is in a, a sort of Jesus is being a little pragmatic here, right? If, if you have treasure and you want to store it up, right? You want to, you want to pile it up, right? You want to accumulate wealth. Well, earth's not the, great, the best place to do it because no matter how secure the thing seems that you put your, your, your possessions towards, well, they're going to go away. They're going to uh, evaporate. They're going to vanish or they're going to get stolen, uh, you, if you've invested in the stock market at all, you know this to be true, right? You put some money towards there, you've got your retirement there, but then uh, a sudden downfall and all, all of a sudden, you know, 50% of what you've stored up or more is gone in an instant, right? Or almost in an instant. It's the same principle. So what Jesus is saying is, uh, if you want to invest, don't invest there. Don't invest in that location. Not a good investment. It's going to go away. It's going to evaporate. Instead, verse 20 
He says, it's not about not storing up treasures, period. It's about storing up treasures in the right place. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Not the earthly realm, but the heavenly realm. And again, he gives a sort of pragmatic reason where neither moth nor uh, consuming cause to disappear and where thieves are not breaking in and stealing. In other words, you put something towards heaven, you store up treasure, possessions, uh, resources towards heaven, it's secure. It's never going to disappear. It's never going to go away. So Jesus is talking really about two investment options. Where are you going to invest? As a disciple, you have money, potentially, right? Maybe not much, especially in the people he's talking to in the Sermon on the Mount. But you have a decision. You have a decision of, are you going to put it towards the earthly realm, or are you going to put it towards the heavenly realm? And Jesus, at a first level, he's saying, put it towards the heavenly realm, because at least it's secure. It's going to last. But then he gives a reason he supports the reason for why he's telling his disciples to do this. Verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we read that and we usually read it like this, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be is also. That's not what Jesus said, is it? Now, there's truth to what that, if you read it like this, right, for where your heart is, there your treasure is, what are you thinking? Well, you're thinking, uh, you know, where your affections, right, the idea of the heart is, is the idea not only of the emotions, but of the affections, the deep-rooted affections of your life, your desires, and also your will. Uh, so it's kind of the control center. The heart is the control center of the individual. And we understand, and Jesus has already been talking about this in the Sermon on the Mount, that the heart is very important, right? Uh, he's been talking against the scribes and Pharisees that have an external sort of law keeping, and yet they're actually not obeying the law in the truest sense because it's not going driving back to the heart. That was all of what chapter 5 was about. Anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, right? That the external actions flow from the heart, and that is very much true. That's a true reality. Jesus affirms that. But that's not what he's talking about exactly here. He's talking about a different reality. It's not where your heart is, there your treasure will be, although there's a certain reality in which that's true. It's where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Meaning what? What you put money towards, because that's the action he's, uh, what you put resources towards. That's what he's talking about with storing up treasure, right? Uh, you Don't store up treasure here, but do it here. That's the action he's focusing on. He's saying, why? Why would you do that? Because where you put your treasure, where you put your resources is where your heart's naturally going to be. In other words, your treasure drags your heart along with it. And you guys know this is true. That uh, Let me give you a couple illustrations, see if this, uh, this, this sounds familiar. Let's suppose you decide, uh, you know, uh, okay, it's time to upgrade our furniture in our house, right? Uh, you know, the, the flower pattern on the couch, it's a little outdated. Uh, we need to get something, we need to get something new. So you, you go and you get some, some really nice furniture from Costco, right? You, you, get, so, you, you get the nice sectional, the Lazy Boy, all that sort of stuff. You get the nice, uh, you get the nice um, uh, coffee table and all of this sort of thing. And as soon as you put that out, right, and then you have... Uh, children or family or someone come over and they're bringing drinks into that room and, and trying to relax, right? You're worried about the new furniture getting scratched, aren't you? You're worried about, hey, uh, don't, get, uh, don't get mud on the couch. Uh, why is that? Because you put a significant chunk of resources towards these things, and so your affections, you're worried, right? Your, your affections are tied up in these things. Or you think we got a new car, right? So you buy a super cool new car, right? It's got that new car smell. You open the door and it's, it's just wonderful, right? And, but then you bring that home and you're worried about that thing getting scratched, right? You, you wash it every week, you, you, but you, you're worried, right? About it being damaged, about it being scratched, about it uh, being uh, beat up, right? At least initially you are. Why is that? Because you put a significant chunk of money towards that. So now your heart is tied to that thing. It's very natural what Jesus is talking about here. 
So what is he saying? He's saying, store up for yourselves, lay up for yourselves treasures, not on earth, not in the earthly realm, but in the heavenly realm. Why? Because wherever you put your money, that's where your heart's going to be dragged towards. It's going to be either dragged heavenwards or it's going to be dragged earthwards. Now, he's not, let's understand here what Jesus is talking about. He, he understands the reality. He's already talked about the daily needs of discipleship, right? He's talked about praying for daily bread. Uh, we go to work, we earn a wage, we provide for ourselves and our families those things. But storing up treasure, it's not just a matter of, oh, okay, then that must mean you must put every single penny towards, uh, you know, heavenly things. And if I spend it on anything earthly, that's bad. That's not what Jesus is saying. But this idea of treasuring up. When you treasure up something, it's not, it's, it's not just, okay, I'm putting money or resources towards that thing, but it's also the idea that you're, you're putting hope and security in that treasure, right? When you're treasuring something up, it's, it's not just, okay, I've, um, uh, I'm providing for the day-to-day needs or whatever, or this is a valid purchase. It's, it's where you're putting your hope and security. It's where you're putting your hope and security, so Jesus is saying, if you, as a disciple, right, as one who has been, uh, who has repented from sin and self and has entrusted themselves to Christ and is following Christ and is a son or daughter of the Father in heaven and who believes that Jesus will come and reign, the Messiah will come and reign over a th- in a throne uh, over a spiritual and earthly kingdom, if you believe that, if you believe that Uh, that where the direction of history is going, then you want to put your resources towards heaven. One, because uh, your resource is secure, but secondly, because you want your heart aimed at heaven. The more you invest towards earthly things and earthly realm, well, one, it's going to go away, but also your heart is dragged that direction. Now, as we think about this, let's, let's spend a little bit more time. How do people store up treasure on earth? What does that actually mean? What does that look like to store up treasure on earth? Well, let's think about that for a minute in our own society. One, and this is very similar to Jesus' um, uh, society, first century Jewish society. One would be a consumption, uh, being consumed, consumed mentally and with your attention and your effort and all of these things towards just attaining more stuff. That's one way to drag your heart earthward. If you just accumulate more stuff and you're just aimed at what's the next purchase, what's the next thing I can buy, what's the newest thing that I can accumulate, well, that's what it looks like to store up treasures on earth. The more you, more, it's not just about where you spend your money, although that's true, right? It's the use of time. It's the use of energy. It's where your mental focus is going, if you're just thinking about where's, where's, the, where's the next thing coming from, that's a way to store up treasures on earth. You're putting your hope and your security, your desires, your affections in that thing. But there's other ways we can do that. Uh, it's not just about materialism, accumulating more stuff. It could be, look like being consumed with attaining more security, more security, I'll store up more money in my bank account. I'll uh, invest in my retirement in the future. It's not that those things are necessarily wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But if your hope is there, if you're treasuring that thing in the sense that uh, I'm putting money uh, there so that I can be secure in the future, I can be, uh, make sure that my future is set. I can make sure I can retire and then live out the rest of my days in ease and comfort, right? At a certain level, you, if you're consumed with that, If you're consumed with that and attaining that sort of security, you're storing up treasures on earth because your heart is set there, right? Your wealth is there. Your heart is set there. It's it's tied in with it. That could look like storing up treasures on earth. Here's another one, and we're familiar with this. We've seen it over the last couple years. And it's this. You could spend a lot of money or resources or time or focus or energy towards health at any cost. Health at any cost. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible uh, views uh, uh, your, your life and caring for uh, your own health and the health of others. It does do that. We value human life because every individual is made in the image of God. But then there's a certain level at which someone gets wrapped, wraps their whole heart, their resources, their energy, their focus, and their time 
into being healthy at any cost. You can spend a lot of money on the health scene, and we're thankful. We're thankful for the common grace of medicine in our lives that makes uh, us be able to live longer and live healthy lives and protect others. And yet there's something wrong when you're willing to abandon other responsibilities and other people to maintain health at other by any means. Where's your focus? Is it, is it heavenward or is it earthward? You put all your resources into living longer, the quality of your life. Why? You're dragging your heart earthward rather than heavenward, which is where you're going to end up if you're a disciple of Christ anyway. That's one way of uh, some ways in which we might see or have seen people treasure things up on earth. But then the flip question is, how do you store up treasures in heaven? Okay, I believe what Jesus is saying. I should, I should uh, invest in heaven, right? It's a secure investment, but not only that, it's dragging my heart heavenward, which is where I want to be. I know heaven is going to invade earth fully in the long run anyway, so that's where I, wanna, where I want my focus in my heart to be. Well, here's a few ways, right? Already in chapter 6, Jesus has talked about charitable giving, right? Being generous towards others. In chapter 6, he talked about uh, don't give looking for other people's reward or for other people's praise, but give looking for the Father's reward, right? Give looking for the Father's reward. Put your resources towards that. That's storing up treasure in heaven, Again, that, that's undefined. That's, uh, God gets to define the reward. God gets to define the treasure. What's that going to look like? I don't know. God does. But the point is, that's one way of doing it. But here's a more broader way of looking at it. Think about the Lord's Prayer, those first three petitions, right? May your name be treated as holy, as in heaven, also upon earth. May your kingdom come, as in heaven, also upon earth. May your will happen, as in heaven, also upon earth. And we talked about those things, and we talked about where history is going and where God is taking history. God is going a particular direction. He's gathering a people for himself. He's, uh, the, the, the message of Jesus, the message of John the Baptist, repent for the kingdom of heaven has drawn near, that, that future kingdom where Jesus reigns over the whole world, where the Messiah reigns over the whole world under God is coming. That's where God is going. But yet there's this reality that here in the present, that, uh, what does that look like? It means proclaiming the gospel. It means making disciples. It means all of these different things invest where God is going in history. Using resources, not just money, but time and energy where God is going in history. That would be investing in, uh, towards heaven, storing up treasures on heaven. Really, the king, the, what, what Jesus is doing in gathering disciples, gathering people to himself, what God is doing in gathering people towards himself, he's gathering souls. And there is nothing more eternal than a soul. Invest in souls, right? It takes effort to disciple others. We were just talking about that this morning in our equipping hour. We're talking about discipling, and it takes effort. A couple of people mentioned that. It takes effort in terms of time, money, uh, inconvenience, planning ahead. But as you do those things, you're going where God is going, and you're investing in the heavenly realm. If we were to boil this section down, we could ask this final kind of application diagnostic question, where is your money and your energy and your time and your resources going, and what does that show you value? You see, you can talk all you want about what you do value or what you don't value, but, when, but what Jesus is saying is it's a sure principle where your money is going, where your resources are going, that's where your heart's going to go. That's where your heart is going to go. Your money is going to show where, what you value. So where are your resources going, and what does that show about what you value? Where are your hopes and desires? Where is your security found? Is it found in heaven, or is it found on earth? So first, there's the two investment options. There's the two investment options. But then, secondly... There's two eye conditions, two eye conditions, verses 22 through 23. Now, this section is the section I spent the most time on uh, in, in this week and thinking about it and working through it. 
uh, because I don't know if you've read this section before, and maybe you just kind of read it and it's like, I don't, I kind of get it, I kind of don't, I'm just going to move on. Um, but uh, it's like, well, why is this even here? It doesn't even seem like he, he, you know, verse 24 talks about money and possessions, verses 19 through 21, but what's verses 22 through 23 doing? What's it doing there? It doesn't even seem like he's talking about money. Well, I actually think he is, and I'll try to explain that to you, but really what he's talking about is two eye conditions. Now, Jesus starts this metaphor with this statement. The eye is the lamp of the body. Okay, so automatically he's just drawn us a metaphor. What's a metaphor? Well, a metaphor, you know, it's talking about, it's talking at two levels, right? A metaphor talks at two levels. One level is talking about some sort of physical reality that we experience that we're familiar with. So in this case, Jesus is talking about physical body parts, right? The eye and, uh, and the body and sight. But then in a metaphor, right, those things are used, the physical thing is used to point to another reality, right? So Jesus is starting to draw us an, uh, a metaphor. And uh, to, to, to grasp what he's saying, we have to start with this first sentence. Now, here's the thing. Uh, you look at commentators on this verse, and they're going to talk about all these fancy, well, uh, you know, uh, ideas of what the ancients thought about sight and how sight worked and how the eye worked. And I'm like, I think you guys are overthinking it a little bit. Because who is Jesus talking to? Who is Jesus talking to, right? He's talking to first century uh, Galilean fishermen and, uh, you know, workers of a variety of sorts. He's talking to a pretty broad crowd, right? And a bunch of just kind of regular folks, right? Just a bunch of regular folks. So I think Jesus' metaphor that he's drawing here should be immediately graspable to anyone in his audience, right? I think that's what he's intending. So think about it for a minute with me. We can do this, right? We're, we're, uh, I think we can do this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So my eyes are open. Hey, I can see my body and I can navigate in the world, can't I? Right? Because my eyes are open. It's like a lamp. It's like I turned on my lamps and I can see uh, not only myself, but myself well enough to navigate in the world. If I close my eyes, uh, now all of a sudden it became way harder to navigate. I just shut off the lamps and I can't see my body and I can't navigate in the world. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think that's the metaphor that he's starting us off on. And then he continues, right? So, implication, if that's what we're thinking about. So our eyes are kind of like lamps, right? If they're lit, they're open. Uh, you can see, you can see yourself, you can see the world, you can navigate in the world. If they're shut, your lamps are out, you can't see your body, you can't navigate in the world. Implication. So, if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be light or bright, uh, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be dark. Uh, I think uh, the translation bright and dark, uh, that's literally what it means. Uh, I think full of light and full of darkness, it could mean bad, but I think it's a little misleading. Um, uh, but just think about this, right? So your eyes are, it's just what we just talked about. If my eyes are good, open and good, right? So I have good eyesight, I'm able to see my body, uh, I'm able to see the world, uh, and it's all good, because I have a healthy eye, right? It, at a physical level, Jesus is talking about healthy and bad eyesight. If I have bad eyesight, uh, my body is full of dark, it's dark, right? I can't see, I can't see myself, and I can't see to kind of navigate in the world, okay? So that's at a physical level. At a physical level, remember our metaphor, we're talking about something physical that's pointing to something uh, spiritual, right? So he's talking at a physical level. We get that. We get what he's talking about. But now the question, what is he, what's it pointing to? What's the spiritual reality that he is pointing to? Well, I think the key to that is the words that you might have in your, um, your Bible. The ESV translates it, a healthy eye and a bad eye. Literally, uh, the word for healthy, uh, the word for healthy can mean single uh, simple, pure, sincere, or generous, okay? So at a physical level, he is talking about healthy eyesight. But the, what this word means, it, it usually means this idea of uh, simplicity or uh, sincerity. It's, it, it's kind of a hard word to bring over. 
And it's kind of difficult. Well, what, which reality is Jesus talking about here? Let's put that on pause because the other side, right? The flip side of this is an evil eye. Uh, it's translated usually a bad eye. And at a physical level, he is talking about bad eyesight. But literally in the original, it's the evil eye, the evil eye. And you're like, what's the evil eye, right? Um, what is that? Uh, now, you husbands and wives might know what that is, but, um, uh, but that's not what we're talking about. And actually, actually, what's going on here, this helps us understand the metaphor and how this is connected with money. The evil eye is actually connected to jealousy uh, and greed and stinginess which is very interesting. It's actually what we would call an idiom. It's a, it's a turn of phrase that the original audience would have heard, and they were like, oh, he's talking about jealousy, envy, and greed. Uh, and let me prove that to you from the scriptures. So turn in your Bibles to, uh, first, Deuteronomy. So we'll go back to the Old Testament. We'll talk, uh, uh, Old Testament, so Deuteronomy 15, Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. And I just want to set this in its broader, broader context, but there's one phrase that'll connect with what Jesus is saying here. But we want to understand its broader context, which is really, really helpful, actually. So Deuteronomy 15, uh, verse 7. So Moses says, If anyone among you, one of your brothers, should become poor in any of your towns within your land that Yahweh your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care, lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart, and you say, the seventh year, the year of release, is near, when all debts are canceled. That's what that's referring to. And your eye look grudgingly, and there's our phrase, it's literally your eye look with evil your eye look evilly is kind of the idea. Uh, your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and you give him nothing. And he cried to Yahweh against you and you be guilty of sin. You shall give him to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this Yahweh your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So what's going on here, right, is you've got someone who has the means of lending to someone else. And if you've, uh, you've got a poor person in the Israel, right, and they come to you, uh, you should not be looking at them with an evil eye, meaning what? That, that's literally what it's talking about. And you don't look at them with an evil eye. What is that talking about? Well, one, it's, it's a grudging attitude. It's an attitude that wants to hold on to what I have, my possessions, and not give to that person, right? That's, in this case, what the evil eye is talking about. Now, this happens in the New Testament as well. In fact, it happens in Matthew. Turn to Matthew 20. Matthew 20 uh, starts with this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. And you remember this setup, right? That this... This guy, this master of a vineyard, he goes out and he hires some day laborers, and he agrees with the first people, I'm going to pay you a denarius, which was a day's wage. But then he keeps going back uh, at different hours during the day up to the 11th hour, which is one hour before quitting time, and he keeps hiring these people and he, uh, during the day. But what's critical for our purposes is what happens at the end. So we pick it up in Matthew 20, verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, so it's the end of the day, he's paying them out. Uh, now, when the first, those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius, which is a day's wage, the standard going rate for a day's wage for a laborer. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat." But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you 
begrudge my generosity. And that word for begrudge, it's a translation of literally in the Greek, it's evil eye. Uh, you look with an evil eye at my generosity. Uh, so the last will be first and the first last. So what do we see here? We see someone who, uh, hey, I agreed for a day's wage, but then he sees all these other people getting paid first who worked less and they're getting the same rate. So he's like, oh, I'm going to get more. But when he doesn't get more, he looks with a jealous uh, a heart, a stingy heart. He's upset that the master is not giving him more. There's a sense of greed there. There's a sense of begrudgingness, of stinginess. And you see this again in other places in the New Testament. Mark 7.22, you don't have to turn there. But Jesus gives a list of evil things that come out of the heart of a person. And one of the things in the list is the evil eye, which is usually translated envy. Envy. So, that helps us because now what we can say is a fixed known quantity in Jesus, for Jesus' audience is what the evil eye means. The evil eye is one which looks against others in relation to the giving of goods because of a greedy heart. So it could be you giving goods to others. You look with an evil eye because you don't want to give. Or you could be a third party. Someone else gets something that you want, right? But you could still look with an evil eye at that person because you want, you want more. You want what they're getting, uh, and you're not getting it. So now we go back to Matthew 6, and we go back to our metaphor of sight. We can now start to see how this metaphor is connected with money. So Jesus is still talking about money here. So if your eye is healthy, and we said one of the options for that word, uh, probably in this context either means sincere or generous. Generous is an option here. So at a physical level, it is talking about healthy eyesight, but at a spiritual level, it's talking about sincerity and generosity. And uh, when he's talking about an evil eye, he's talking about a jealous and greedy or a, a jealous or a, a greedy and stingy heart. At a physical level, he's talking about a bad eyesight, Right? So now we understand a little bit better, right? So if your eye is generous, in other words, you're generous with, in your relation to others, you're generous with your goods, you're sincere with your goods, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, in other words, you're jealous or you're stingy, you're greedy with your goods in relation to others, your whole body will be full of darkness. Now you still might be scratching your head and it's like, well, what's the light and darkness thing? I kind of get the, I get the eye thing. What's the light and darkness thing? Well, now we scratch our heads for a little bit and we practice some good hermeneutics, some good Bible study habits. And we think, is there anywhere else in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about lamps and darkness and light? Oh, yeah. Uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 14 through 15. A lot of the same terminology here. That's why I think he's linking us back to this idea. It's because there's a lot of the same terminology. Remember 5, 14 through 16. I'll read it for you again. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And we said in context that the, the light there is those good works, those righteous actions towards others that bring glory to God, that point in the direction that the only reason I'm doing this good work is because I am a child of the Father, uh, I'm a disciple of Christ, and so uh, that attracts that other person towards, uh, towards yourself, but towards God ultimately so that they too might become a disciple of Christ. Now, if we tie in with that, I think we can understand what Jesus is saying. If your eye is generous, if it's sincere towards others, your whole body will be light or bright, right? That if your eyes are open at a physical level, you can see your body, okay, it's bright, great. Uh, but at a spiritual level, if your eye is generous, if your eye is sincere, then you are bright. You are shining your light to the world. Remember this, this idea of the evil eye or the generous eye, it's in relation to others. What is Matthew 5, 14 through 16 talking about? It's talking about relationships with others for the glory of God. 
Jesus is talking about being generous towards others or being stingy towards others. If your eye is bad, your eye is evil, okay, I close my eyes, I can't see my body, but in a spiritual sense, if you're stingy, if you're not generous towards others, you're, 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 you've got that mindset of greed and jealousy and envy and stinginess, well, now you just put out your light towards others. That's a really bad witness when you're not generous, when you're stingy. Because what are you doing ultimately? You're, you're, portraying, you're portraying that God is stingy, that God is not generous, right? I think this is what Jesus is speaking about here. How we view possessions, it's not just about how we view our possessions in relationship to God, it's how we view our possessions in relationship to others. And a disciple of Jesus will have a good eye, a healthy eye, a generous eye in giving those things. Conversely, if you're stingy, if your mindset is on the things of this world, I don't want them to have it, I want to have it, in a greedy sort of a way, your eye is evil, your body is dark, you're being a terrible witness for God. And he kind of concludes, he says this, if then the light in you, so the light that people see, I think is the idea. Uh, so if you're stingy or if you're, you know, the, the very light, the thing that you might have in you that's light, it's actually dark, right? People are supposed to see light, but it's dark. How great is the darkness? How great is the darkness? You're Instead of glorifying God, you're defaming God. You're harming your witness in that sense. The overall thrust, then, of these verses is another warning about the disciples' view of goods, specifically in its relationship to others. Disciples will be generous. Those who are not disciples or showing themselves to not be disciples will be stingy, will be holding on to their goods. They don't want others to have the things that they have or they want more. It's that idea of the evil eye that we talked about. So by way of application, does jealousy and stinginess characterize your relationships or sincerity and generosity? Does jealousy and stinginess characterize your relationships or sincerity and generosity? How you handle goods in relation to others will affect your function as a light in the world to bring the Father glory. The reason you're generous is because the Holy Spirit's at work in your life as a true disciple. You've seen how generous God has been with you, and you want to be generous to others. So we've seen two investment options, two eye conditions, and finally we see two incompatible masters. Two incompatible masters. Look at verse 24. No one can be the slave of two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be the slave of God and money or wealth. Now, intentionally, most translations, they translate that word serve, but literally the words to be the slave of. And that helps us. The background here is slavery. Uh, when you're a slave, you don't get an option. It's not like hiring yourself out to someone. You are bound to a person. And what Jesus is talking about here, it's pretty straightforward this time, is uh, you can't, it doesn't make any sense for a person to be enslaved to two, two masters. Uh, it, it, it can't happen, right? Because you're going to either be devoted to one and the other is like, you know, the, the slave of this master, it's like, all right, I, I take orders from this master and then someone else tries to give the slave orders. They're not going to do anything about that. They're going to despise that, right? Because they're only bound to this one master. You're going to either hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. There's no other two ways about it. And then he clearly illustrates what he's talking about. You cannot be the slave of God and money. Uh, this is the word, some translations have it, mammon. Uh, that's just an Aramaic word that means wealth or possessions. And it's the same thing he's been talking about the whole time. In fact, what's going on in verse 24, I think he's giving the principle that everything he just said is built on, right? Think about it. If you're enslaved to God and to his interests as a disciple of Christ, 
then certainly you're not going to put, lay up treasures on earth. You're going to store up treasures in heaven because that's who you're enslaved to. You love God. You, you, you're devoted to God. You're devoted to Christ. So you're investing in that direction. You're, you're using your resources as a good slave of a good master for the master's interests. That person is also going to be generous with others, right? The, the one who is enslaved to God and, and views the, the resources at their disposal as uh, they're being a steward of the master, they're going to be generous to others because that's the master's heart. Conversely, if you are enslaved, and he, he really personifies, this is the idea of idolatry, right? Uh, you're either enslaved to God or you're enslaved to mammon, right? This God mammon, this God wealth, this God possessions, this God resources. If you're enslaved to uh, mammon, to wealth, to possessions, then of course you're going to invest in earth because that's where your loyalties lie. Of course you're going to be stingy because it's all about how much I can have for myself. And Jesus' point is, as a disciple, you can't play the, try to play the game of straddling. You can't try to straddle the fence and say, well, I'm, I'm enslaved to God sometimes, uh, just enough, but I'm also enslaved to wealth, and I'm really interested in possessions. That's where my heart is. You can't straddle it, right? Because back to the principles he's been talking about, you're going to get dragged one direction or another. It's impossible. You can't straddle the fence. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to wealth or possessions. You cannot straddle loving self and loving God. One will always win out. So as we kind of wrap this up and think about some, we've talked about some application, but let's talk about a couple other ideas. What Jesus isn't saying in all of this, he's not saying that having money, saving, even enjoying the things of this earth, it doesn't necessarily mean you're enslaved to them. Okay, so we know from, say, 1 Timothy 6 at the end, it talks about how you can enjoy the things that God generously gives. The rich in this age can enjoy these things in a God-honoring way. But here's what Jesus is warning about. You've got to watch your heart. You've got to watch your heart. Possessions, resources, they drag the heart in different directions. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But here's the other thing, and we said it at the beginning, right? We, we live in a culture that worships stuff and the things of this earth, whether it's health, security, just sheer stuff, money in the bank, whatever. You can't be materialistic and worldly. There's no straddling here. You're going to be one or the other. If you think, well, I can kind of serve God on Sunday, but then the rest of the week I'm kind of living for, you know, the American dream and all this other stuff, you're kidding yourself. You're going to be enslaved to one or the other. And in that culture, as disciples of Christ, we must stand apart in how we view our possessions and our security. We must stand apart in how we view our possessions and security. If you told people, yeah, I've spent uh, this amount of hours, uh, you know, uh, meeting up with people during the week talking about Jesus, or I spent this amount of money uh, giving to this missions organization over there, and people are like, what? That sounds foolish. That sounds stupid. But it, then you're showing, yeah, but my interests are in heaven, right? I'm going where God is going in the world. That counterculture speaks to our culture that is materialistic and enslaved to the thoughts of the things of this world. But it kind of leaves us with a question, how do you have this perspective on possessions? How do you not be enslaved to mammon, but be enslaved to God? Well, it's only through the gospel, isn't it? It's only through what Jesus has been talking about this whole time, that if you've turned your allegiance from sin and self to being entrusting yourself to Christ, for Christ to be your master, your owner, your generous God and King, the one who we think about what we've already seen in Matthew, the one who came from heaven, God the Son, wealthy beyond all imagining and made himself humble to serve 
a sinful humanity and draw people to himself. First, Second Corinthians talks about how the one who was rich became poor so that he might make us rich. Rich with what? With God. God is the good of the good news. To know and have a reconciled relationship with God. To know and have a reconciled relationship with Christ. If you value and treasure God, you are enslaved to God, you love God, you're devoted to God through Christ and through Christ alone in his death and resurrection, that's how you hold possessions with a loose hand. Because you already have all the treasure that you could want in knowing Christ and in loving the Father. Serve God, not possessions, investing resources in heaven and guarding against greedy envy. Let's pray. Lord, we need help with this. Uh, We need your grace to live this way. Help us to see you as our treasure. Guard our hearts from loving the things of this world. It is so easy to do so, O Lord God. Guard us because you are better, because you are the treasure of inestimable value. You are the most rare being in the universe. There's only one God, and it's you, and we love you. Lord, help us. Help us to love you more. Help us to see how infinitely valuable you are. And we thank you for the gospel, that though we were estranged to you because we are sinners, we we said as sinners that uh, there are other things in the earth more valuable than God himself, and that's, that's utter foolishness, and yet you opened our eyes through the gospel to see the matchless worth of Christ. Thank you, Jesus, for becoming poor, to make us rich, rich with yourself, dying for our sins, being righteous in our place so that when we entrust ourselves to yours, we're we're yours, we're the Father's. We thank you. Help us to live differently than the world around us that's so materialistic, that's so so anchored in the things of this world. Help us to invest heavenward because that is where history is going. We ask for your help and your grace. In Christ's name, amen.